Being in Miami really brought right to the forefront of all the things that I cared about and thought mattered in the world and needed to be worked on. And then it turned out a lot of them also correlated and tied back to climate change, which meant to me as an entrepreneur, an opportunity to make, to make money as well while doing good. Stonely, it's so good to see you. Welcome to Opportunity Miami. Matt, it's wonderful to see you as well. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, and it's certainly been too long. And, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to chat with you and to be here on Opportunity Miami. Oh, it's, you know, I was thinking and uh, before we got started, I was reflecting that I think we go back um, over 10 years. And yeah. so to, of course, here in Miami, and we'll talk all about that. But I want to start with a serious question. And that's that you're betting your professional life, your professional future on investing in companies combating climate change. Why? Yeah, I, I think there's two parts of that um, question. Uh, one is why, why are we betting on, why am I betting my career on investing in companies? Um, and then secondly, why uh, climate change? So as you know, I was an entrepreneur for most of my adult life. Um, and when we met, I had sold my last company. You convinced me to come down to Miami and spend some time hanging out with other founders and helping build the tech ecosystem there. That's really where I fell in love with the idea of helping other founders and working with other entrepreneurs and building up their companies. Um, and so, I mean, one part of that answer is there's no other way I'd rather spend my time than helping people build you know, their visions and their ideas for improving the world. I'd say also from a pragmatic perspective, I think when you have the, uh, the ability to leverage risk into your career, you should, you should take it. You know, certainly could find an easy path earning, you know, a predictably set nice amount of money. But I instead chose to invest and put all of my money into other people's ideas and into building this platform so that the outcomes, if successful, could be significantly much more exciting. And the progress has been great. And then the second party question as far as like why climate, again, being in Miami really brought right to the forefront of all the things that I cared about and thought mattered in the world and needed to be worked on, seeing the forefront of sea level rise and, um, and, and, and heat, heat increase um, and being in Miami just brought all that really close to home. And then it turned out a lot of them also correlated and tied back to climate change, which was this like 40, 50, 100 year problem that there were real opportunities to, to work on it today while everyone else was kind of still ignoring it, which meant to me as an entrepreneur, an opportunity to make to make money as well while doing good. So moved to San Francisco and, you know, one thing led to another and launched with Sean Third Sphere. Tell us what Third Sphere is. So Third Sphere is a uh, venture and um, broader uh, uh, finance platform um, that we we actually started as Urban Us in Miami, yeah. out of the lab Miami. Sure. Uh, and uh, we first started off by investing and advising really early companies, um, writing small checks, right? We, we raised money from investors. We, we told them, we don't know what we're going to do with your money, but we want to work on climate and we want to work with founders. We ended up advising um, some companies, but mostly just gave them the money. And that ultimately rolled into this series of venture funds. And as we were building the venture fund, um, we realized there was an opportunity to also deploy private credit, private debt um, strategies into early climate companies. And so now it's a broader platform. Really, at the end of the day, our business is finding the most promising companies and potential solutions and helping them 
come to market, grow, um, and, and ideally uh, uh, to a, an exit that's sustainable and returns capital to our LPs. That, that's basically my day-to-day. Um, and third sphere was the evolution of Urban Us in that when we started, it was this like, how do we talk about climate without saying climate? And again, the inspiration from Miami was you can work on a lot of urban challenges that actually do tie back to climate and you can have this urban city conversation. And ultimately, though, we realized we had covered a lot of territory about six, seven years in on the urban sustainability and resilience front. And we evolved to expand to a more broader climate strategy um, and therefore the brand definition um, expanded as well. And that's why we're, we're third sphere today. So uh, give us a sense about sort of how big is the fund or funds and how many companies that you're currently invested in? So we have a little over 100 million in assets under management today. Uh, That's not including um, valuation increases. Uh, And we've deployed, uh, I would say, probably 60 of that so far into um, uh, a little over 100 uh, and 10 companies. The, the strategy is to invest, um, you know, a, a 150, 250 to 750K initial I- investment in, a, uh, in the beginnings of a company. And then as the company progresses, you know, out of a portfolio, as the most promising companies progress, we double down with larger and larger uh, follow-on investments while doing our part to add value and continue to help the company progress. And sometimes that just means getting out of the way um, uh, but the most important thing, of course, is picking the right teams to work to work with and the right things to work on. Talk with us about some of the types of companies that um, that you're investing in, and what are the areas sort of within the climate space that you know excite you the most? We've been accused of, of two things: um, one, of being the sort of pragmatic and practical VC, in that you know we are looking for things that are um, that have moonshot qualities, but are not quite moonshots. Like we're not taking science risk. Um, and, you know, in, and, but at the same time, we are looking for new ways to deploy technology into the world that haven't been thought of yet. And because we're investing in climate, a lot of, uh, of the things that we get excited about happen to also be hardware, which thankfully is something we have as a background as company builders. It's something we've gotten comfortable with as investors over the last 10 years and built a lot of muscle around being able to do. That's, that's one. We, we do like probably 70% of our portfolio is hardware. But we, we believe that any climate fund that's responsibly investing in climate will have 50 plus percent hardware exposure, whether they want it or not, if you really are going to work on climate. Now, the other thing we've been accused of is not being an actual climate fund. And that's because not every one of our investments look like a climate investment. Um, and so a number of companies that have made it to Miami as either a base or a uh, market are good examples of, frankly, companies that if you think if you look at it at first glance, you wouldn't think climate. But when you go a few layers in on the nuance, then you can connect the dots. Uh, one being KiwiBot, which deployed um, electric you know, delivery robots um, onto Miami campuses, you know, lower emission transportation and logistics. Uh, another being One Roof, which has a few buildings under management and building communities that um, are resilient because of that social fabric. Again, not the default thinking when most people are talking about, you know, carbon capture. Uh, but at the end of the day, one of the things that we realized, thank, again, thanks to starting off in Miami, is that it's not climate change. We're dealing with climate changed. Like changed it's already done. a reality. Right. It's done. And so what, what are the things that have to change along with climate? One of those is we need more social fabric with people closest to us. 
in a disaster, communities that are more um, tethered together are more likely to have a higher sort of success rate of making it through the disaster and through the challenge. And again, we have a number of like resilience related strategies that are about that sort of preventative and recovery effort. And, and you know, we have some electric transportation um, fleets that are deployed in Miami, like um, like Circuit, which does, you know, provides a free last mile bus routes throughout South Florida. Electric um, bus, right? Electric buses. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go on and on. I mean, as far as what excites us the most, Generally, you'll see a pattern in our portfolio of stuff that starts that's that is traditionally large industrial processes that someone has figured out how to shrink and modularize and distribute, whether that's batteries, um, whether it's energy generation, um, whether it's, you know, steel manufacturing. So that's one area that pretty that particularly excites us is like take 10x reduction of cost. And, you know, creating resilience and the ability to go into new places because of the modular nature of the solution. The other thing that we love is repurposing existing infrastructure. We have a company that's turned retired oil wells into sustainable batteries. Oh, wow. Very cool. Storage. So, again, I, I would say the third thing that we've been accused of at the same time is also being sci-fi investors. Like we invest at that nexus of things you wouldn't really imagine and you don't quite know if it's sci-fi or not until you see the thing and you realize it's not it just looks like science risk it's actually just manufacturing and distribution risk but it's a very sort of um, exciting value proposition if they can get those things right um, and that applies also to a lot of the software stuff we've invested in so for for people new to the space you know our entire economy has to transition to one that ultimately is net zero ultimately that includes how we get around how we manufacture things how we produce food how we cool and heat the places we live and work where we get our power from and essentially what you're doing is betting on the companies that are driving that transition and finding those winners of the bunch is that a fair way to be thinking about this Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and one step further is not just like the need to get to these goals. It's the reality of having to adapt again to a changed climate, having to adapt to a, you know, whether that directly impacts your business or your lifestyle and having to find new solutions, whether it's more heat, so you need better cooling or whether it's, you know, flood exposure to your infrastructure, et cetera. The reality is we all have to adapt and adjust and that motivates also prevention, right? Maybe a little too late in some fronts, but better late than never. And, you know, one of the things going into, again, your first question, why work on climate? It was this foresight. I will give a little bit of credit for, to seeing that everything will ultimately become impacted by climate and will right. ultimately be in, like investment decisions, purchase decisions will all ultimately be influenced by climate factors over the next coming decades. So why not get ahead of that? Why not get in front of that? And yes, the job is the job to be done for us is identifying the key pieces of tech and key teams that are going to be a part of the solution set that we can tap into. Um, policy is great. We've had policy science research. Scientists have known about climate change for almost 100 years now. We were lacking entrepreneurs and the funding for those early entrepreneurs to get those things off the shelf and out into the world to help actually start working on solving solving climate. I mean, it's important, uh, I, I guess, to that while you think that this is a that this is critically important this shift but also built within this in so many ways is that this is really sort of the business opportunity of our lifetime 
uh, about investing in the companies driving this transition. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I would I would say so. I you know another co-investor I, today got noticed that that we were um, featured in Fortune um, uh, as as one of the top climate investors, and I read the article. Um, I avoid I skipped my part because I hear I hate hearing myself. I probably won't watch this interview. I hate reading what I wrote, um, but you know, or what people write about me. But I love seeing what my peers are thinking. Josh uh, from Congruent said it in a way that I love to say, which is, you know, again, everything will become climate, um, but not just that. You know, the climate will be a persistently annoying, annoyingly persistent thing that you won't be able to ignore, right? And so, when you're talking about technology investing, and then the parallel that that Josh um, painted was the internet, right? Like yeah. after a while, first there were internet funds, then and then everything was internet, right? And that was a sort of phenomena that that persisted, but it sort of blended in the background. Climate, I think, is going to have a similar effect. First, there are climate funds. Then you realize everything has to have a climate factor in the consideration set when you're thinking of investing. And then ultimately, maybe it just becomes part of this part of just the normal default thinking, and you don't even distinguish it. But I think it'll take a while because the disruptions will be so dramatic and sharp that you know the, the typical human behavior of sort of adjusting and normalizing just won't work and won't you know it won't be easy to sort of forget i think one year it was one fire the next year it was 10 fires and you know and then it's the extreme heat and then the next year it's the extreme you know wetness and so it's all these different left left right punches hitting us in different places and so you know it just becomes more and more uh, an inignorable thing but also hard to just sort of normalize and accept that oh climate has changed because it's it's currently still changing and and not for the better for us we have to adapt we also have to do whatever we can to, to prevent and you know and it's not just like we have to do it because it's good also because our society is built around a very stable climate that you know we, we don't we may not have the luxury and we have to embrace and accept the fact that we're part of the reason that stable period has ended or is ending um, and there may be some things we can still do to curtail and to turn the ship. So the onus is on us to try or accept that, you know, the multi-trillion dollar economy, the billions of people on this planet, like all of that could dramatically change if we don't, if we just sit around and do nothing. It's not just a matter of quietly adapting. We have to proactively adapt. We have to prevent what we can. And that's going yeah. to be a huge shift in trillions of dollars of industry. You know, it's so cool listening to you, Stone Lee, as you know, said at the outset, you know, we go back more than a decade, you know, knowing each other here in Miami. You know, when we first met when you were up in Fort Lauderdale and you just sold your company then and came down to Wynwood at the lab. But I, I share all that because I feel like listening to you right now, you found your life's work. I mean, this is what you're going to spend your life working on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, again, the two things that became clear to me that I needed to figure out after 10 years of building random companies was one, I needed more leverage. I spent 10 years building companies with my own money, boom and bust. Um, it wasn't until after that exit that I realized I could have been using other people's money and leveraging the exit <laughs> to even bigger numbers. So that's one. And then two, you know, I needed to care about what I was working on, whether I had successful exit or uh, a not successful outcome in the, in the, in my earlier companies, it all felt kind of empty because I didn't know why I was working on it beyond just chasing profit, chasing you know um, revenue. Now I know why I'm waking up and working on something, no matter how hard it is, no matter how good things are going or how bad things are going, and you just really can't buy that. So let's talk ecosystems. Um, and you know, as we think about this climate tech future and where these you know climate tech companies of the future are going to be built, um, I guess two part question. One. 
Um, are there places that have begun to distinguish themselves as places that, that are sort of hubs for new climate tech companies? And then two, the question I want to get to is what can places that aspire to that, and you know ecosystem building well, you are pivotal and fundamental to the growth of the Miami tech ecosystem. What are those things that those places uh, can be doing? But we'll start with the first one. Are there places that have really distinguished themselves as climate tech hubs? Are you finding yourself investing in companies really all over the world? I mean, we are we are investing in companies all over the world because, again, climate touches so many things. It's not always like blaringly just climate that makes something an interesting climate investment. And there are hubs for various sectors. Like we invested in a few construction related companies um, out of Israel, for example. We've invested across the spectrum in, in Europe. We've even done a few investments in Africa. But I would say the majority, 80 percent plus of our uh, portfolio, are North America, our U.S. Um, and the concentration based on just a natural sort of distribution set of where companies are being born is Miami, I'm sorry, is um, San Francisco and New York. In New York, policy has shaped and signaled customer spend. So you have things like Local Law 97 that's signaling that businesses and, and buildings need to um, adapt uh, the, the way they operate to lower their emissions. And that has galvanized a spend around retrofitting and building buildings for uh, more sustainable uh, footprints that has motivated solution providers like entrepreneurs to show up with their ideas, with their solutions. And now they have customers ready to buy versus spend money on fees and fines. And New York in general has just done a great job in signaling like these are the priorities of New York. We have all these buildings. We're right next to the water. We really need entrepreneurs working on these things. I mean, Miami started in a similar fashion. Um, you know, New York really took it an extra number of hundreds of miles and like just running with that ball. Um, in, mo in like supporting um, hubs, supporting um, challenges, um, really signaling again via policy. Now, California, of course, has a, a very powerful role that it plays in signaling via policy for things like sustainability and buildings and vehicles, et cetera, emissions. It's always you know, been a leader in that way because just the sheer size of the economy uh, of California. San Francisco in particular is, is interesting because what you have is, of course, the concentration of risk capital. Um, yeah. But it's not just a matter of risk capital that makes climate tech um, successful here or, or prominent here. It's also where the capital is coming from. So what happened right in San Francisco is that the LPs, the limited partners that invest in funds, started demanding mandates around climate investing. They wanted they, they have this same foresight. They wanted exposure to both the adaptation and the mitigation strategies that climate um, uh, requires. Um, they have assets exposed to the climate disaster. So they wanted upside. And so they are asking their, their GPs, their, the investors that run these funds, to give them climate strategies. And that's what spurred this, you know, pangean explosion of climate funds um, in the Bay Area, but really everywhere, right? LPs distribute their capital now more, more universally as well. It's not all, all VCs aren't just in the Bay Area anymore. A number of them have moved to Miami. But I think what will inspire and instill more growth of climate investing in South Florida is LP dollars that are asking for these mandates that believe in the upside and are saying you're at least going to have some part of your strategy or we're looking for funds that have an entire strategy around climate because it's happening here and the opportunity to lose and if we do nothing, lose money. And if we do something, maybe make a lot of money is also here. Um, and it aligns with generally these LPs are pension funds, et cetera. It aligns with improving the quality of life of our, of our stakeholders. Um, so it makes all the sense of the world for Miami to be a nexus of those two powers 
legislation policy that's protective and encouraging of, of, of a better, you know, symbiosis with the planet and adapting to the changing climate, but also capital motivating um, the talent to actually work on these things. What is the world that you hope that investing in climate tech companies around the world, across the U.S. and New York, SF, here in Miami too, um, that you hope to see? It's definitely going to be a significantly different world, both from the planetary side and the tech side. Um, on the planetary side, either we've figured a lot out and we now live a much more symbiotic relationship with the planet and it's a wonderful world to, to live in as it should be, um, or at least we found our place in it that makes it wonderful for us. It'll always be a wonderful world. It's just whether or not there'll be a place in it for us. Now, the other side of that coin is maybe we haven't. And, you know, um, I love sailing. I want to teach my son to sail. I loved, you know, the archipelagos that, that Miamians love to do where you got to get on the water with a bunch of boats. But I don't want to have to do that just to go to the grocery store. Right. And I don't want, you know, health issues that come from literally just being born and being out in the world because it's so hot. It could be a really tough to live in world, which, you know, who knows how we get to our base priorities of continuing to expand society and tech progress when we're dealing with just back to the basics of survival and hierarchy of needs. Like we have to curtail getting back to those base things because it delays the further advancement you know, of our species and society. And again, this ultimate goal of taking the good we've done here and expanding it. So I'm hoping for the former where we've done a really great job. We, we love what we've done here. We want to expand. We want to IPO to the rest of the universe with the wonderful thing we've done here. Um, the other thing that also gives me hope, though, is that, you know, technology is continuing to rapidly um, accelerate. There's a new energy around, you know, breakthroughs and bringing breakthroughs to market, whether that's generative AI, whether it's super connectivity. Like, I think society has never been geekier. And the solutions really are rapidly progressing and compiling on each other in 10, 20, 30 years. We won't even recognize this world. It's crazy to think about the rapid rate of expansion of tech today. Some days I'm an optimist and some days it's not so easy to be optimistic, but that's normal in life, whether you're working on climate or anything, right? So I don't depend on, I don't, my work does not depend on how optimistic I'm feeling. The concept that I like to remind myself is like, I'm a baby turtleist, right? You're on the seashore and there are, there's a baby turtle um, uh, trying to crawl back to the ocean amongst many. And you're, you pick one up and you, you take it to the ocean and someone, uh, this is an adage, I'm not making this up, someone says, well, why, why bother with one baby turtle when there's so many to pick up? Like, well, at least I can do this one thing and it'll matter to this turtle. And so when I wake up every day, it's at least I can work on this one piece to move the needle forward. And it matters to this one piece and it matters to myself that I got to work on it. We'll see where we end up. Um, obviously, uh, there's hope. I definitely have hope. That's, that's the only reason to work on anything. But even a stock trader has hope that they're going to make a ton of money today. Um, and you, you kind of have to have that sort of foolish belief that it can work out. But um, really, it's all about doing the work and just getting up, doing one more thing that day. And that's what motivates me. Stonely, it is so great to see you. Always so much fun to talk. Too short. Um, so, but thank you for this time today. Um, this has just been awesome.